So uh, we welcome with me uh, Dan Winklewich this morning. Yeah. I do think you have a fun name. Well, good morning. Let's see, I have to figure out this mic, whether I have to eat it or I can just talk into it. So we'll get this down. And how are you today? Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Please do not forget that if you were not here, it would not be the house of the Lord. It's just a building. Of course, that's you. Now I look out here. I got to get myself, you know, situated because a few of you have moved seats since I've been here. And so um, some of you are supposed to be over there, but you're not over there. You're back there. I don't know how that happened. Um, it is a joy to be back. I see, I see people that I know. I see some people that I don't know, or either that, or you have aged a lot, one of the two. Um, maybe I did. I don't know. <laughs> one of the joys of not having hair is people never notice a change in your hair color. Um, but, well, interesting times that we live in, isn't it? And uh, it's been through the pandemic, I, I've spoken with others who do pulpit supply and things like that, and, and uh, there, there hasn't been a lot. And the reason there hasn't, of course, a lot of pastors were not going on vacation. Other churches were not meeting at all. And uh, so it's been kind of hit and miss, but I'll do my best this morning. How many of you have a Bible? Now, remember, okay, that's nice. You have a Bible. That's good. Now, um, how many of you, now remember that I love you. <laughs> but also remember that if I came and I preached and nobody was convicted about anything, that would be a waste of time. Now, third key point is Daniel generally preaches to himself primarily. So remember that, and hopefully you'll love me when we're done. How many of you brought a Bible with you this morning? Hold it up. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whack a lot of you. You know that, don't you? Yeah, you're just stepping right into it. Um, thank you. We have Bibles. And a Bible is a good thing. It's a nice thing to have. It's a nicer thing to read. I want to start with this phrase, and then I'm going to have a word of prayer for me. Um, Alistair Begg recently said, the Bible is not an object God breathed into. It is something God breathed out. This is God's word, and it is his living word, and it will transform your life. And so this morning... We're going to talk about the Bible and the part and the role that it's playing in our lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for letting me come back here again and see faces and people that I know and love. And uh, thank you for letting me see new faces. I ask that you will bless this time together. Lord, use it to speak to us, to encourage us, but also to nudge us further down the road of following you day by day. Amen. 
So this morning I'm gonna I'm gonna start out and I'm going to read two passages of scripture, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me to 2 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 12 to 21 is what I'm going to be reading as soon as I get my glasses on. Now, 2 Peter, for those of you who don't do a lot of flipping, is in the way at the end of the New Testament. And it, it, it reads this way. First, uh, 2 Peter 1, verses 12 through 21. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we do not follow cunningly devised fables, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from, his excellent, from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, as we talk about the Bible and as we think about the Bible as followers of Christ, don't ever begin to think of it as a textbook. It is the living word of God. And as you read it, and as you hear it, it will transform your life, and it'll transform the lives of your children and those around you. My mother had many Bible verses stuck on the wall. They were all different kinds of plaques and different shapes and sizes. And I can remember one of them that comes to mind and of course, everything that we had on the wall was in the King James. And so it was casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. I bet I learned that verse when I was three years old, had no idea what it meant, but I could say it. And it is stuck in my mind all the days of my life. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Boy, that's one I repeat a lot these days. Perfect peace. What are we doing with God's word? What am I doing with it? And how central is it in my life? Now I'm going to turn to the book of Psalms in chapter 119. And I'm going to read you verse 9 through 16. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Do you know it? Now, I have a question for you. Your Bible. Do you trust it? You sure? 
Okay, let's do something here. Bryce, how you doing back there? All right, would you come up here for a minute, please? All right. This is really, it's gonna be painless, I promise. Okay, his wife's liking this. Yeah, how you doing? It's good to see you. All right, thanks for coming up here. Now, I'm, I'm not gonna ask you to sing. Yes, okay. All right. Why did you come up here when I asked you to come up? Because I wanted to listen to you. You wanted to listen to me. Um, do you trust me? Yeah. You still trust me, even though I asked you to come up here? Yeah. Okay. That's as painful as it was. You can go be seated now. Right. Now, here's the point. Here's the point. Bryce and I know each other over the years. You know, we're friends. We've spent a lot of time together. You know, we haven't worked it, but we know each other. So when I, I, obviously I chose it, but I asked Bryce to come up here. You know what? Why did he come up here? Because he trusts me. Now, he was a little bit worried. He didn't know what I was going to do, but it wasn't, he knew it wasn't, I wasn't going to hurt him. He trusts me because he knows me. If I walked into Walmart and there was some lady walking down the aisle and I said, excuse me, uh, ma'am, would you come over here for a minute? I just, where? Oh, back here in this corner over here where nobody can see. No, why not? Because she doesn't know me. Now, if I ran into Jenny at Walmart and I said, hey, Jenny, come here and help me for a second, she'd run over to the corner. To help. Why? Because she knows me. You see, there's a difference. If we know something, we, 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 then we can trust it. So my question would be, do you know your Bible? Do you read your Bible? Do you have a Bible? How many of you remember the old song, the B-I-B-L-E? Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. The Bible is your spiritual compass, your GPS. And it never says recalculating. It never does. It shows you where to go. When you plan a journey, what do you do? First of all, you decide where you're going. I don't know. And I know there's some wacky things, you know, where you just get in your car and start driving and keep turning left and see where you go. Most people don't do that. Where are you going? People know. Well, I'm going to Des Moines. Oh, okay. Well, how are you going to get there? I'm going to get on Highway 9 and I'm never getting off. Well, then you're never getting to Des Moines. And so, and if I ask you, where do you want to end up? I want to end up in heaven. Well, then you better know how to get there. And the only way we're going to know how to get there, of course, is our, is our Bible. So the Bible is the central thing in, in our faith that guides us. Now, it is important, of course, that in order for that, you need to read it. The Bible, of course, tells us of our salvation in John 3, chapter 7, or John 3, 7. It says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, how do we know that? Because scripture says so. The Bible tells us that we're going to continue to grow as, as believers. That's called sanctification. In John 17, 17, it says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And there's never been a time in this country when truth is harder to find. Your word is truth. You don't have to discuss it, folks. It's already been said. The Bible tells us, how to be useful. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Truth, truth. 
Bible also tells us of our assurance. In 1 John 5, 13, it says, These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. How are you going to believe it if you don't read it? How are you going to know it if you don't read it and memorize it? I could be saying up here, you know, you were struggling with we, we, we. I'm saying you, you, you. I could say we. I could say me. The question is for all of us. But there's a battle for the Bible. There are many battles going on, but in churches across the country, of course, the question is, is this truly the Word of God? Does it become the Word of God to you? No, it is the Word of God. Uh, does it change its meaning because laws change? Nope. Does it change its meaning because culture goes cuckoo? Nope. It's true whether you like it or not. I like to say to people, God loves you whether you like it or not. Doesn't, doesn't make a difference. He, he loves you even if you don't love yourself. But it's a battle. And some people, when they come to the Bible, despise it. They just hate it. They don't want to hear it. Leave it alone. Other people deny it. Well, it's not true. It's got all kinds of mistakes in it. I know that. Oh, where? Well, I don't know. I've never read it. Okay. Others distort it. They love to take scripture and twist it around to mean anything they want it to mean. Well, it used to mean this, but now it means that. That word meant this, but now it means that. Oh, I'll punch you in the face. And that used to mean that was bad, but now it means I love you. That's just stupid. Other than that, I don't have an opinion. Others like to dissect it, pick and choose. Thomas Jefferson was famous for that. He went through the New Testament and cut out all the miracles. He said, those aren't true. I'll just cut those out. Well, you can't do that. Well, you can, but it's stupid. Others disregard it. I don't care. There's that attitude. That's the hardest one to deal with. I don't care. All right. The Bible and believers, that, that's, that's you. I'm assuming here that everybody here today is a believer, is a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, among the believers, you've got some interesting attitudes. Some now, and, and here's one, social justice. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Fun, huh? Social justice. Now, I have a question. Is there anybody in this room that thinks racism is a good thing? Would you please stand up, raise your hand, and leave? Who, who, who in their right mind thinks that is a good thing? We don't think it's a good thing, but it's not the only thing. It is not the only thing. Social justice, yes, it's important that people have homes. It's important that people have food to eat. It is important that people are treated equally and, and, and as, as um, under the law. All of that is important. But uh, some will spend all their time and energy making this world a better place to go to hell from. Men, women, and children must know that Jesus is the only door to heaven. Some people, I call them deluded church folk, they'll say, I believe it, I think, but I don't live it, read it, memorize it, or know it. But it must be true, because my mom said so. Well, here's a challenge. And here I want to challenge, I'm going to make you a little bit uncomfortable, so just get ready. I asked you if you had a Bible. Here's a Bible. Okay, you ready? This is not a Bible. 
you may not like what, you, what I'm saying. You may not even accept it. I love you and I don't care. Here's why. When we have a Bible, we should underline the verses in it. We should make notes in it. We should study it and we should keep it all the days of our life. And then when it comes time, we should pass it on to our children and they'll open that Bible and they'll read it. Now I have a question. Are any of your children going to be able to pick up your dumb phone and read notes that you've made in there? No. Pastor David is so happy he's not preaching this sermon. But it's a challenge for him. It's a challenge for myself. I find myself going to a church if I'm not preaching and I get there, oh, I just got my phone. You open up that phone, you know what's right beside the Bible? Facebook. Don't you tell me you've never looked at Facebook in church because Jesus is listening to you. Don't do it. Here's something you cannot do. You know whose Bible this is? This is my mom's Bible. My mom uh, left this world 10 years ago and 20 years before that, she spoke her last intelligible words. That's so long, I can't even remember her voice sometimes. Do you know what I got? I got right here. And I open up this Bible and after she was gone, my sisters decided I got to have it. And inside, there's a picture of each of her kids in different places and underlines. And then here's this little thing she left behind. Now, about those questionable activities. And when I read that, I could hear her voice. Danny, you're the only Bible some folks will ever read. Oh, Danny, your actions speak so loud, I can't hear you. Here's what it, I won't read all of them. It says, just ask yourself, will it glorify God? Can it be done for Jesus? Does it look right? Will it compromise me? Is it what I want to reap in my life? She's got this whole list in there. You know what? It's in a real Bible. So there's my plug for real, the written word of God. And here's another one. And if you think it won't happen, watch out. What are you going to do? How would you, how would you know if they changed the text in your scripture in your online Bible? How would you know? I wouldn't know. Other than this, if it's something I've read before. And trust me, my wife has a saying. She says, the devil's a pig. And I'll tell you what. They'll twist it. They'll turn it. Be very, very careful. And I will forgive you if I see you later at some time with your smartphone in church. But don't give up your Bibles please. So my point this morning is we can trust it. In a world filled with lies, where I often say we're swimming in a cesspool, you can trust your Bible to be true. And here are five reasons. First of all is scientific accuracy. And you may raise your eyebrows and say, huh? Well, scientific accuracy. People will say it's full of errors. Well, if you say that, you better know your Bible and you better know science before you start talking. It is not full of errors. Bible is not a science book, but it's accurate when it speaks of science. Do not check your brains at the door, use them. It's said that in 1861, the French Academy of Science published a book and it called something like 50, 51 scientific facts that prove the Bible is false. All 51 of those things have now proven to be false. You can't find that anymore. In fact, they deny they ever printed it. 
And, uh, but let's talk about the earth, cosmology, all right? Everybody here knows the earth is floating in space. How do you know that? Well, you say you saw a picture. You saw a picture. The astronauts took a picture. Well, how did people know that before? The Egyptians didn't know that. The Egyptians said the world sits on five pillars. Now, they were smart folks, but five pillars. Well, I've seen the pictures. It's not sitting on five pillars. The ancient Greeks were really smart, they say. But the ancient Greeks said the world sits on Atlas' shoulder, and he just carries it around. I've seen the pictures. Atlas is not there. It's a round blue globe in a black space. The Hindus were even better. The Hindus said the earth is carried around on the backs of elephants. And then someone came along and they said, well, where are the elephants? Well, the elephants are on top of the back of a giant tortoise. Well, where's the tortoise? Well, he's on top of a giant snake. And where's the snake? He's swimming in a cosmic sea. Now there they got close to reality. It truly is cosmic. It was out in space. But you know what? Long, long ago, 4,000 years ago, before anybody took a picture from anywhere, the Bible said in Job 26, 7, he stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. The Bible can be trusted. Not only does it hang in space, we know that the earth is a globe. It's round, isn't it? Now, it's funny, when Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, some of you learned that in school, a lot of people were afraid he was going to go right off the edge. And there's still a group of people that called the Flat Earth Society. I think it would be fun to belong to them, even if I don't believe it. Just, I mean, think of that. And obviously, he didn't go over the edge, and we know that, that it's round. But people didn't think it was round. But Isaiah, who lived about a 1,000 years before Christ, in chapter 40, verses 22, said, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Now, would you tell me something? How did Isaiah know that the earth was a circle? And the word that was used there in Hebrew is globe. It is not, it's a sphere. It was not, you know, just all around thing. No. How, how do you know that? Because these men did not speak from they, them, their, themselves. They spoke by the inspiration of Almighty God. The Bible is true. Another portion of that is stars. How many stars are there? A lot. That's the best answer. But you know, in uh, 150 BC, Hipparchus was an astronomer, and he counted them. And he said, I've counted them all, I've come to my conclusion, there are 1,022 stars. All right? By the way, he was a Greek. The Greeks were always smart, weren't they? Well, 50 years later, Ptolemy came along. He was another one, and he said, that guy is an idiot. I counted the stars, and there are 1,026. He found four more. Now, now I'm going to tell you something, and I'm not trying to get political here, folks. These were scientists. Followed the science. You ever heard that? Well, just hold on to your hat. About a thousand years later, some knucklehead named Galileo comes along, and he, may, he points a, this, this rough telescope at the sky, and his mouth drops open. <laughs> he says, you know what? There are uh, a few more than 1,026. There are millions of stars. The latest, just in the known universe, they use the term octillion. 
which is interestingly enough about how many grains of sand they suppose might be on the face of the earth. So and I'll take you to Jeremiah 33:22, where it says, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. Stars can't be numbered. Now, Jeremiah spoke long before Galileo and long before Hipparchus. And Hipparchus probably thought old Jeremiah was an idiot. There are 1,026. What's he talking about? Here's the thing. When the Bible and science don't agree, just wait. Eventually, the scientists will catch up. You can trust the Bible because it's scientifically accurate. It's also biologically accurate. In Psalm 139, 14, it says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, Melissa, you knew that before, but you know it even more now, don't you? Amazing. Austin, you'll catch up. <laughs> he's smiling. No, he's smiling. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what the Bible says. Now, it took until 1615 when a scientist said, you know, blood circulates in the body. The life is in the blood. Well, wow. In Leviticus 17, 14, it says, it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of anything. Any flesh, for all the life of the flesh is in its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Took them 1,600 years to figure that out. In the 14th century, the plague came along. Now, we think, you know, we talk about a pandemic, but the plague was another thing. We'd have had, we didn't lose 100 million Americans, so I'm sorry. This, this was a pandemic, but it certainly was not a plague like the Black Plague. Do you know at the end of the day, it wasn't scientists back then who ended the plague. It was the church. The church went back to Leviticus and said, you know, in Leviticus it says anyone who is sick needs to stay outside of the camp seven days before they can be with the rest, and they need to burn all their clothing. You ever heard of quarantine? Anybody get quarantined here? How many of you ended up being quarantined? Raise your hand. Uh, and, you know, whether or not you follow the rules or not, but you, you got quarantined. You found, why did you do that? So you wouldn't infect everybody else. Well, funny. The Bible knew about that a long time ago. In the 1800s, there's, there's an Austrian guy named Semmelweis working in a clinic, and he says, you know, it's amazing. In the maternity ward, one in four of the mothers who come in for postnatal care die. How'd you like those numbers? One in four. Well, he, he observed that the doctors would be in the morgue doing the post-mortem work, and they would come out of the morgue without washing anything, and they would go then attend to the mothers. One in four died. He said, you know, I, I, what I want you to do is I want to use this uh, antiseptic uh, solution here, and I want you to rinse your hands off before you, when you come out of the morgue before you attend the mothers. You know what they said to him? You're an idiot. What do you... You're an idiot. That doesn't have anything to do with anything. Except that it went from 1 in 4 to 1 in 80 who died. Then he noticed one day that 18 mothers in a row died when one doctor attended. And he said, oh, now you're not only going to wash your hands after 
you leave the morgue, but between each patient, they literally wanted to throw him in jail. But they began to do it. it went to one in a hundred. It made amazing difference, an amazing difference. In Numbers 19, it says, this is the law when a man dies in a tent. And on to verse 19, which I want to read for you quickly. The clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. And on the seventh day, he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, bathe in water, and at evening, he shall be clean. What is my point? The Bible already knew about this. And what it said was true. Historical accuracy is another. We know that Moses wrote the, wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books in the Bible. There, there was a guy and said, well, no, actually, that was impossible. We know that's not true because people couldn't, they didn't know how to write back in Moses' time. A few years later, oops, they discovered some more tablets, and here you go, a thousand years before Moses' time, they had a postal system, and they sent letters back and forth from Palestine to, to Egypt. Again, I go back to the case where when you see that the Bible is being put down or being doubted because of either history or because of archaeology or because of science, just hang on because they will catch up. Daniel 5.1 says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for thousands of his lords and drank wine in the presence of a thousand. Do you remember that story? where Daniel's called in because the king sees this hand writing on the wall. And, and he comes in and he says, okay, yeah, no, yep. And then he tells him what it means. And yep, your kingdom is, you've been found wanting, your kingdom's divided, you're done. Basically, Belshazzar was doing everything that we now claim is good in America. And he said, oh, you're done. And Belshazzar said, well, I'll make you third king in the kingdom. Well, you know, the historians looked at that and they said, well, there's a big fat error there because we have the records from, uh, from the Babylonian kingdom. And the last king was not Belshazzar, it was Nabonidus. So we know that's an error. About 100 years later, wouldn't you know, they discovered some more tablets and they found out that Nabonidus had a son whose name was Belshazzar. And there were two kings. Nabonidus traveled, he should have stayed home, and Belshazzar stayed home and partied and ruined the kingdom. When you doubt it, trust the Bible. The Bible's one book. Are you amazed by it? You should. You should be. 66 books written over 1,600 years in 13 countries, three continents, 40 authors. Soldiers, priests, farmers, shepherds, kings, princes, fishermen, scholars, historians, and businessmen. No contradictions. If you think you find a contradiction, keep studying. You'll catch up. You'll catch up. The whole Old Testament looks toward the cross. The whole New Testament looks back at the cross. The more you read, the more you trust. One theme, salvation. One hero, Jesus. One villain, the devil. One purpose, glorify God. And if we went into talking about all the fulfilled prophecy today, we'd be here till tomorrow. Read your Bible. How long does it take you? How long would it take you to read the Bible cover to cover? How many hours? I Googled it on my smartphone. 
52 to 74 hours. Now you got to sleep and eat, obviously. But you can do it in a week. 52 hours. Now I just want to challenge you. When you get your little report on your smartphone and it says screen time last week, just take a look at it and think about it. How much time are you spending there? Sometimes it's good. Because of Facebook, I, you know, I, I knew that the Screepbacks had Samuel. I, I wouldn't have known that. How would I have known that? You know, so I, you know, and, and uh, others of you are friends of mine, and that's a good, it, it's a good thing. My point is, how are we dividing our time? Where are we putting our time? We have a rule at the table in my house, even when it's just Louisa and I. No phones on the table when we eat. Now, Louisa's four foot, 11 inches. She's really tiny. I promise you, if I pick up my phone and open it when we're eating, for whatever reason, if I just stop or whatever, she doubles in size. It is amazing. You know, and all of a sudden it just gets quiet and it's like I'm back in like eighth grade and I'm screwing around in class and all of a sudden everybody's quiet and I look up and the teacher's got me with the laser eyes. We'll, we'll just put that over there. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good thing. It's God's holy word. It's living word. It's truth. It's, it's yours. Read it. Read it. I mean, how many of you here like ice cream? You like ice cream? Great. You have any ice cream in your house? Just keep it in the freezer and never eat it. Don't ever eat it. Just look at it. Won't that be yummy? Why would you do that? Now, I think the same thing. I cannot have chocolate candy in, in the house. My wife can buy, she might buy a bag of chocolate-covered peanuts, which I really like. She'll have it for a month. I'll just have one today. Well, if I know where those things are, they're going to be gone by noon. <laughs> I'm just saying something, eat it, enjoy it. Now, this last one is, of course, this is, a, this is kind of a Danielism, so forgive me. But So I've said, we've talked about fulfilled prophecy a little bit. We've talked about the fact that it's historically accurate and scientifically accurate, and that it's got unity. And this last one is mine, and that is that the Bible is stupid proof. Okay? Over the years, many have tried to burn it, ban it, hate it, get rid of it. It just continues. It just grows. They're never going to be able to do it. Somebody has said there have been many funerals for the Bible, but the corpse always outlives the pallbearers. It's a good one. Voltaire is one of my favorites. He was a really smart guy in France. He was a smart guy, but he hated the Bible. He was an atheist. And he said, the Bible will disappear within 100 years. After he died, the Bible Society later bought his house, and to this day, it is an office for distribution of Scripture in France. 1 Peter 1, 24 to 25 says, But the word of the Lord endures forever. In Psalm 119, 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It, 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 it is powerful. It is the word of God. It's that which transforms lives. Not cute arguments. Not really 
snazzy presentations. I, I know I pop bubbles all the time when I'm in a church and I tell them, look, if you think because you take out the pews and put in chairs, your church is going to grow, you didn't get all the way through grade school. I mean, that doesn't know. It, 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 it is people that change. And it's the spirit of God that changed those people. It's fine to have chairs. I like chairs. I like pews. I can do either one. But it's not things. It's people. And those people are, are changed by God's word. And that starts with me. What do I look at first thing in the morning? What do I look at late at night? What am I spending my time, my free time doing? I mean, a lot of us work, we work hard, we're busy. I'm not suggesting that you, you know, fix your lawnmower or sharpen your knives while you read the Bible. That's probably not a good idea. But I am saying it needs to be a priority in our life. Somebody else also said this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. That's probably true. Listen to these Bible verses. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? When your children won't listen, and I have some that will not listen, just keep quoting Bible verses to them. That'll make them so mad. So what? What are they going to do? Disown you? Ha! They can't do that. You can't unadopt your parents. Did you know that? You can't. So I said, oh, you don't like it. I love you. <laughs> I don't care. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Psalm 119, 9. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? My mother pounded that into my head. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy precepts? And in my worst days, I couldn't forget it. And in my best days, I couldn't forget it. Make sure your children are memorizing scripture. You think they can't memorize stuff? They, <laughs> they memorize stuff you don't want them to. Psalm 119.10, with my whole heart I have sought you, O let me not wander from your commandments. Psalm 119.11, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You fill your heart with scripture? There's no room for sin in there. Fill it up. I love that old song, fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up. Come and quench this thirsty soul of mine. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill it up. Psalm 119, 103, your word, your, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Think of when all the lights go out and you can't find a flashlight and your smartphone won't come on. Think how bad it is. Well, that, that's like trying to live in a cesspool of a world we're in without God's word. Put it in your head. Put it in your head. So I have a question, and, I, and this is an illustration I know that I've used before. Um, what are you eating? Talk about God's word to eat it. Take it in. What are you eating? You, when you leave here today, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna go home. You're probably going to have lunch. You're going to have something good. I know more or less what we're going to have. But what about you? What are you going to eat? What are you putting in your head? So 
I asked the question, how many of you like cookies? You like cookies? Would you raise your hand if you like cookies? All right. Yes. John, does Jenny make good cookies? Oh, this is a good story. She makes really good cake. Oh, you're really bad at making cookies. Oh, see there, now we know. You invite Jenny to something, ask her to bring the cake, not the cookies. My wife makes really good Rice Krispie bar. you know, those whatever, scotcheroos, I guess they call them now. She makes really bad cookies. She really does. Yeah, they, they're always burned. I don't know. It's impossible. And she knows it, so it's fine. What do we put in our mouth? The story is told of a father whose kids wanted to go very badly to a movie. And he said, I'm not going to have you go to that movie because there's some really nasty stuff in it. And they said, no, but yeah, dad, come on. Most of the movie's fine. You know, it's just a little bit. So he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll think about it. When you come home this after, this evening after school, we'll talk about it. They went out the door happy as could be because you know when your parents say, I'll think about it, it's not, you're 90% of the way there. So they came home and here he had baked cookies and they were on the counter. And so they came in with a big smile and they went for those cookies. Now he said, now stop just a minute before you eat the cookies. I want you to know what's in there. Well, yeah, the cookie. So there's some flour in there. There's sugar, eggs, all this nice stuff that's in there. And I got a little bit of dog poop out of the backyard and I mixed it and I put it in the cookies. And, uh, but you can eat as many as you want. And they looked at him and said, why would you put dog poop in the cookies? He said, you know, here's the deal. If you eat the dog poop cookies, you can go to the movie. There's just a little bit of bad stuff in there. Eat the cookies. Here's my question for Daniel almost every day. What am I eating? What am I sticking in my head? What am I putting in there? What am I reading? What am I looking at? We have to pound God's word into our heads and into our hearts so it transforms us. Otherwise, there's no way we're going to survive. I can tell you this. On this word, on this book right here, I live and die. That's the hill I'll die on. I will not give in for anybody. I don't care how much I love them. If they come to me and say, this lifestyle is okay because God loves me that way, I do not have to. And I, Well, you know, he told me that he does not approve. And so I love you, but I don't love that. I love, you know, I, I, I have a car. I like my car. I don't like putting gas in my car. I don't have to like everything. This is where we live. This is where we stand. And if you stand on God's word, you're not going to fall. But how are you going to do it if you don't get it into your head? That's a challenge for me. That's a challenge for you. Please read it. Listen to it. Some of you say, well, I'm a terrible reader. Oh, come on. That's no excuse today. You can listen to it all day long. Let it get in there. Let it change your life. The Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. I don't sing very good, but let's give it a try. Now, you old folks, help these younger ones because they don't know our songs. All right? You ready? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. 
I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Very good. You can trust the Bible. Please read it. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it tells us where we came from and where we're going and that it tells us how to get there. It's in your word, God, that we learn of your son. It's in your word that we learn that he died for our sins. It's in your word that we learn that he rose again. It's in your word, Lord, that we learn all we have to do is ask him and he will save us and transform us. Lord Jesus, help us to not take it lightly. I ask today that some here, including me, that have maybe gotten other things in the way, will put your word back in the priority list where it should be. I ask that you'll, you'll bless Pastor David as he's traveling and that you'll bring him back with a renewed fire and passion to preach your word and teach it Sunday after Sunday. Your word have I hidden my heart, O oh Lord, that I might not sin against thee. I thank you and I praise you and ask that you'll bless these folks as they follow you all the days of their life. Amen. God bless you all.